Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, everybody, welcome into another ball movement. I think on today's episode, we, we got some good stuff for you here. As always, I'm Matt Moderno. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Creppy. Mike, I, I think this is going to be a fun episode for everybody to listen to. Today, we have John Elmore. John's story and trajectory to professional basketball overseas is one that I think will resonate with a lot of players. He has a lot of jewels he's going to be giving us. So definitely is an episode that you don't want to miss. Mike, you're you're the the expert on on what it's like overseas wise, and I, I think uh, this one was a fun one for me to sit in because I could see you nodding along as John was hitting on stuff. I, I know that you know our messages you try to get across to people too. Yeah, he has he's developed kind of a Caruso cult following overseas and amongst basketball players. So I can't wait for everybody to hear his stories because it's really indicative of the overseas basketball experience. You know, from having a modicum of success in college and then you know, applying your trade overseas. So definitely something that everybody that, you know, is curious about overseas basketball, that is playing overseas basketball and aspiring to, and everybody in between will be able to relate on some level. And for the TBT fans out there, I think, you know, that'll be a name that's familiar to you. He plays on the Marshall alumni team, heard that. So they're always on ESPN in the summer, so you can check that out as well. But before we get to the interview with John, I think let's just take a a quick word from one of our sponsors, betonline.ag. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the code BELIEVE to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, with that out of the way, I think the next voices you'll hear will be me, Mike, and uh, John Elmore joining us. So uh, stay tuned. And welcome into this week's ball movement. Joined by a pretty interesting guest here today. It's one of my favorite players to watch in the summer TBT event. So we've got Marshall's John Elmore. John is Marshall's all-time leading scorer. Conference USA's all-time leader in scoring assists and three-pointers made. It's actually the first player in Division I history to have over 2,500 points and 750 assists. So uh, we got a real baller here with us today. Mike, anything you want to add on John before we, uh, we bring him in? No, you know, we're going to get into it. You know, he comes from a basketball family. So, um, but, you know, just John, what we're trying to do here with this platform is just bring awareness to the overseas basketball life, the journeys of players, you know, the thought process that goes into preparing to go overseas and then the thought process it takes to be successful while over there. I'm speaking from all of our perspectives, um, co-hosts, as well as the guests. So um, speak candidly, speak freely. We want to give the viewers, the, the, the listeners, the real experience of what it's like to play basketball overseas from your perspective. With that, John, you know, before we get fully into your overseas career, first of all, just thanks for joining us. I know uh, this is the challenge of doing an overseas basketball podcast when we're in the U.S. is making all the times work. So uh, thanks for doing this late at night for you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Let's maybe start a little bit with your college career here just before we get to how you ended up overseas, because I think part of this is just people's entire journey and, and the context it provides. You started VMI, where your dad at one time was the all-time leading scorer, which is pretty wild, but then end up leaving, and then you had kind of a long, circuitous route to, to get to Marshall, too. So can you explain that story for, for folks that may not be familiar? Yeah, so um, like you said, the family connection was at VMI. Um, I was in going into my junior, or in my junior year of high school. I had 25 Division One offers, um, a lot of bigger schools than VMI, but my brother was there on scholarship. My dad played there, so that was that family ties. I ended up going to VMI like three weeks before the season started. Um, my grandfather was diagnosed with late stages of cancer. 
and it got ugly, man. Paralysis started setting in just really a nightmare. Cause this, this is a guy that kind of beside, besides my dad, like teach me how to play basketball. So he's a hooper somebody, too, right? Yeah. Played college at West Virginia. Um, so my brother and I ended up leaving VMI. I mean, I'm getting ready to start point guard as a freshman. I mean, not a lot of dudes get to do that. So it was a tough, um, hard decision. We ended up we were living with him for a couple months um, while he was uh, really struggling. And I decided I was going to get back in school. Um, Marshall was the closest school to where I was staying with him. We were living with him on and off, helping him out. So I ended up walking on at Marshall. Uh, I had never met Coach Tantoni. First day I enrolled in classes, set up a meeting with him. I walked in his office and I'm like, Coach, here's my situation. He had heard about it a little bit, but um, he was like, look, uh, I haven't seen much of you, but here's the jersey. We'll see what you got at three o'clock. So it was kind of like an open tryout. So a lot of people don't know. I was a walk-on for my first whole year at Marshall. One, because I couldn't accept the scholarship because of NI or national letter of intent stuff. Um, and with everything that went on with VMI. But yeah, I walked on my first year at Marshall. And then uh, the rest was kind of history after that. Have you ever looked into who were the best statistical seasons by a walk-on of all time? Because I think if you drop 15 <laughs> a game as a walk-on, you're, you're doing pretty good. It's crazy. I uh, I started off playing intramurals. I ended up scoring a hundred points in an intramural game, and that like they wrote an article in the newspaper about me, and like everybody started talking about me. So I started getting all this hype, and I'm a walk on. Like I'm just practicing with the team. So uh, it was kind of crazy how it all kicked off. Jockey, yeah, I know we you know want to get into your overseas career and pro career, but um, talk about that um, that process of transferring schools. Like, did did VMI anyway kind of try to dictate? where you went because you, you and I both know we played division one basketball and how restrictive it can be when you're looking to transfer it's not like now with the transfer portal and things things as easy it is players transferring like crazy they can go wherever they want but um speak on that process man to be honest it got ugly you know there's no hard feelings towards VMI now my dad's jersey hangs in the rafters so um it got ugly man um as a freshman you know everybody is well, I, I don't think everybody knows this, but you're binded by your national letter of intent for your full freshman year. So when I left, they decided they weren't releasing me from my scholarship. So what that did was that said, hey, for 365 days from the day you left, you can't have contact with Division One coaches. So like there was no recruiting process. And during that period, you're not allowed to accept a scholarship either. So because they didn't release me, now you you read a lot of schools release people and they're like, all right, you don't want to be here. Go ahead. Um, they didn't release me. I mean, Jay Billis, Jeff Goodman wrote articles about how it was dirty and stuff like that. You know, it's in the past, whatever. But because of that, I had very limited options. All those college offers I had coming out of high school were gone because I couldn't contact them. They couldn't contact me or you're looking at tampering stuff. Um, so I kind of just went blind into Marshall, you know, people talked and stuff like that, but like, I didn't, I wasn't able to participate in any conversation. So like you said, um, a lot of people don't know about it, but there was a lot of rules at the time. I think a lot of that's going away because of the transfer portal stuff, but yeah, it was extremely ugly. Yeah. That, that's something that, you know, um, you know, a little bit about me, John, I've written a book on just, you know, about, players being more in control of their careers and things like that, you know, so they're being more informed because you and I both know the more information we have, the more informed decisions we can make. And we're not so relying on outside sources to make decisions for us. And one thing that I'm a big proponent of is just doing things with putting your career first, because there's so many things in place, you know, from high school, AAU to college to overseas that are all about the organization, all about the university and the players are the ones that suffer. The coach can come in on Tuesday and say he's leaving on Friday for another job. But to your point, a player has all of these rules that he has to abide by. So, you know, this is this is really good stuff hearing that because I didn't know that about your story. Um, I knew that there was something that was there um, about your transfer, but I didn't know it was, it was to that extreme. And then, um, you know, sidebar too, what is it about VMI? that they always routinely have the leading score in the country or one of the top scorers in the country every year. Because, you know, I follow basketball. One of my close friends, Jason Conley, he went to VMI before he transferred to um, to Missouri. But he led the nation in scoring as a freshman. And then, you know, they had Rodney Glasgow, a kid from mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a kid from Maryland where I'm from, younger guy. So, you know, you just see these guys every year. They're, they're always leading the country in scoring as a team, always have one of the top five leading scores. What is it about VMI that – allows that 
You know, and that's a phenomenal question because um, the guy that broke my dad's record, Reggie Williams, played the NBA Thunder a little bit. QJ Peterson was there. He was a, I think, 2,000-point scorer. Um, you know, that's one of the appeals is like, hey, look, I know you're going to military school. Um, it's not fun, you know, but then you got the basketball aspect of it where the coaches recruiting pitches, hey, we're going to lead the country in points. We're going to play extremely fast, and we're going to show off your offensive ability. So, I mean, you got to kind of weigh the pros and the cons. I'm coming out of high school and I'm like, dude, I don't want to go into the military. I don't want to march around. I don't want to shave my head every Monday. I don't want to wear a uniform. But the coach is telling me, hey, you're going to play point guard. You're going to play a ton of minutes and first available shot, you pull it. You know, there's no filter. We want to we want to play an exciting brand of basketball. So I think that was that was one of the things that swayed me. And like you said, to your question, that that's why they always score so many points you look at the citadel now that that's where the former coach at vmi was like his philosophy is like i want to lead the points or i want to lead the country in points because it's appealing to play in you ended up in a program where they actually still put emphasis on on scoring the ball and and moving it was that a factor in your decision at all too other than the proximity definitely you know the d'antoni name in west virginia is just legendary Uh, you got jerry west and you got randy moss jason williams but right up there above some of those names is the D'Antoni family. So, I mean, Dan D'Antoni, Mike's older brother, for people that don't know, um, is the coach at Marshall. And uh, he was in the NBA as an assistant for Mike for eight years. So my favorite player growing up was Steve Nash. Uh, always watched the West Coast games with Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. So now I'm playing for the coach that coached these guys in the same system. So just the way it all worked out was a dream come true, honestly. Yeah, Matt, like make sure you keep us – in line because I could tell he's a basketball junkie like me. And I, and I just have so many thoughts as he's talking, coming through my mind. So just make sure you keep us in line, but that, that's great stuff, John. Go ahead, Matt. You mentioned a name there and I, I pulled a quote doing some, some homework for this, John. Dan D'Antoni said about you, he's a kind of a scoring point guard, similar to Curry. And yet he has the craftiness of Nash. He's got all kinds of finishes at the rim. He makes off balance layoff layups. I couldn't even think about doing. How does that feel to hear a guy that coached, you know, those level of guys say that about you? I have to give a lot of credit to him just because, you know, I always thought I was, I always thought I was good, but I think um, he was able to put me in the, on the platform and give me the tools to elevate my game to a whole different level because every day in practice, most of you know that you don't work on skills a whole lot during the season. You're working on system, you're working on plays, you're working on scout. Every day of practice, we're spending 20 plus minutes on skill work, player development, bigs on one end, guards on the other, guards switch down to the big end, big go down to the guard end, and you're just working on your game. You're working on wrong leg finishes, you're working on floaters, you're working on dribble up, pull up threes, just all ball handling. Um, so you're talking about a guy that was in the NBA doing player development workouts every day for eight years with every player you can imagine, bringing that to the college level and then treating us like professionals, like, Hey, I believe in you. Steph Curry can make these shots. I think you can make these shots. Let's work on them. So, I mean, you're talking about a coach that just gives you the utmost confidence in yourself and gives you the freedom to play your game. Uh, he always talks about like, what are you more afraid of? You more afraid of a pit bull or are you more afraid of a pit bull on a leash? And that's basically what he had was just a bunch of pit bulls. Like, Hey, I believe in you go out there and hoop. So, um, I got to give him a ton of credit just for my player development and my confidence level, because he just, a coach that does that for his players, man, you owe him a lot. There was a big debate maybe a few months ago just about like how important a coach is to a player's career. There's so many guys you and I both know that, you know, they get to college. Obviously, if you play in Division One basketball, you're there for a reason. Not everybody gets there. But then, you know, the coach restricts them. They start to lose the love for the game and they get caught up in that. And then you see so many guys just end up just – either quitting, going through the motions just to fulfill their scholarship. And I've always had this this notion that, you know, just how important a good coach is because a coach can really make or break your career. It takes a special person to fight through that and be a little bit arrogant and stubborn to say, forget this coach, especially if your coach had any type of credibility in the sport where it's like, okay, he doesn't see what I see in myself, but I still believe in myself. But nine times out of 10, it takes a coach like you just said about Coach D'Antoni to really pour into his guys and steal the confidence and make them believe that they're there for a reason and he's going to maximize whatever skill set they have to help the team be better as well as the player. 
So, you know, that you you were you were very much blessed in that, John, because we we talk to a lot of players and you hear the stories. You know, we we all have teammates. You know, they go through college and you know, they come in with all this enthusiasm and optimism. And then and you just see from year one to year two, they're not playing. They see their AU teammates going on to bigger and better things. And it can be a lot mentally. And um, you know, I know Matt is going to talk about that, the mental aspect of the game in a, in a little while, but you know, that's just something that, you know, that that struck a chord with me because I hear about these stories and I, and I try to tell guys, you know, believe in yourself and this, that, and the third. But at the end of the day, if your coach believes in you, you're probably going to have a great career. Mm, no, I agree hundred percent, man. Those yeah. are spot on. Yeah. You get led to good success for you from a statistical standpoint personally, but also as a team 2018, you guys upset a really good Wichita state team that I think a lot of people at the time had like the sneaky kind of final four pick, if not like a dark horse national champion. So I, you know, did that get you on the national radar for people or NBA teams radar? Like what did that kind of team success um, do for you in terms of your recognition? Um, well, Landon Shamit got drafted first round and I went to Italy. So I don't know, man, <laughs> you know, it was, it was sweet just because that, that's a dream come true, man. Playing in March Madness, uh, everybody dreams of being that Cinderella story. Steph Curry, VCU, Gonzaga, George Mason. Everybody dreams about mm. that as a little kid. So um, being able to do that, Marshall hadn't been to the tournament in 31 years, had never won a game in NCAA tournament school history. Um, so, you know, that was so cool. What was so cool about it is like, that's where I'm from. I live 45 minutes away from Marshall. Um, I'll always have that legacy there. I'll always go back. and. Every time you walk in the gym, you see that banner. So, you know, that was on the biggest stage, the biggest platform. And, you know, I got to give credit to the coach and my teammates because without them, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But, you know, I'll, I'll talk about upsetting them forever because, like you said, NBA draft pick, high-level guys. Um, they were top 25 all year, number four seed in the tournament. Doesn't get much better than that. John, you hit it there. I think that's sort of the next segue here for us is the ended up in Italy part. Like, so... You played summer, you went undrafted, but you played summer league for the Celtics, didn't get a ton of run. What happened in that process? What's your agent telling you? What are you kind of hearing feedback wise? Like, why didn't that translate for you, I guess? Um, you know, that was probably the hardest process of my whole basketball career. Um, you go from being the guy, always dreaming of being on that stage, and then you get there, um, you think you deserve more than you're getting. What I mean by that is playing time, role, et cetera. You know, I barely got off the bench. And all my life, I've been the guy. And that's the next step in my career is, hey, I'm going to make it to the league. I got the Celtics jersey on. I've played well in my opportunities in training camp. You know, I think I've shown well. And then it's over. You know, summer league ends. And I got to figure out what's next because I'm not hearing any talks um, from my agent. The team's not really inquiring about me. They've got their guys. They drafted guards ahead of me. So, that was when it was like, all right, I still have dreams and aspirations of playing that level. How how do I get there? So just talking with my agent, my family, I had to take the overseas route. You see stories now where guys are 30 years old, rookies in the NBA now because they've grinded mm -hmm. their way back. Look at P.J. Tucker, Patrick Beverly. I mean, those guys went to war overseas just grinding to get a chance to play back in the league. So, you know, my, my story isn't over, but uh, hopefully it ends up with me back in the NBA. Yeah, John, um, touch on the the mindset that you had of, you know, when you were coming up playing ball. Was overseas even an option or a thought process to you? Because I know for me, you know, I, I talked to a lot of my friends and we never talked about overseas growing up. You know, it was always the league. It was always the league. You were here, you know, murmurs about guys going overseas to play, but we never knew what that entailed. And that was never a reality to us until we got to that point like you, where it was like, OK, we want to keep playing. Um, What's next? But was that the same for you or did you already know about overseas? Was that an option for you? I had no clue until what's crazy is my college. Uh, we had a college. One of my assistant coaches in college prided himself on recruiting European players. So I want to say my freshman year, we had two Serbian guys. My sophomore year, we had two Serbian guys, one guy from Montenegro, uh, one guy from Bosnia. So like in my whole time at Marshall, we had six to eight different players that played overseas or lived overseas and came over to the States. So um, just rooming with them, talking to those guys, I started to get a feeling for overseas basketball. Uh, but like you said, it was never in my plans. It was always, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a kid in the driveway. I'm going to the NBA, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, that's going to be me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on TNT. 
And uh, uh, it wasn't until probably my soft, even my sophomore year, I'm still NBA. You know, everybody's so closed minded. You don't really know a whole lot about it. You're like, I'm going to the league. Everybody's going to the league. And uh, when I started to see, hey, like I might have to take a different route, I started studying it. Um, one of a couple of my college teammates were overseas, so I was able to follow them, talk to them, and understand a little bit about it. You know, you don't really you don't really understand overseas until you get over here, but you know, I had a little bit of an idea about it as I went on in college. And then later on in my college, my fourth and fifth year, I finally started to study it and learn about it and kind of see what was what it was all about. But early on, I had no idea. You took a long road just to get to a successful point at Marshall, too. Like you're kind of used to having to scrap your way into into those situations like it, does that made it easier for you um to adjust to having to go kind of you know the route you didn't expect to go um i wouldn't say that i would say it's just the way i grew up you know from when i was in middle school you know this is like my earliest basketball memories my dad would sign my brother and i out of school he was in sixth grade and i was in eighth grade um and we would go to the park and he would sign us out of school because my school got out late and by the time we got out of school, they had already started playing pickup at the park. And as you all know, if you're a little kid and you're not in the first game at the park, you're probably not going to get picked up yeah. just because you're, you're a little kid. You don't belong. So my dad would take us and play. And we were three of the first guys on the court. So we were in the first game. So my mentality is always, Hey, I got to win to stay on the court. I got to perform to do my thing. And um, it started from the park, like that mentality of, you know, it's kill or be killed. And, you know, you drive by the park nowadays, nobody's playing, but that was where I learned the game. And that was where I got the mentality. And like, you got to understand, like, I love to play ball. I love to work on my game almost more than I love playing in the games, training and working on my craft. So it's just that fire and that desire to play basketball, man. It's like, that's why, I, that's why I still do it and still chase the dream. You know, to, to Matt, to Matt's question, um, you know, you you were for sure from my perspective, you were prepared to go overseas based on that upbringing and your relationship to the game. But also, you know, that that mentality of loving to train, loving to practice more than the game that translates like directly to European basketball, because I tell players all the time, if you don't love practice and love the small details of the game, you're going to be miserable in Europe. Like you, you'll be miserable. And for me, I love practice. I love breaking down, seeing how to manipulate defenses and and just the different things that come with playing European basketball, which I which I believe and Kobe said it and a lot of other people is the highest level of basketball fundamentally. And so, you know, I'm just, just talk about that, you know, just like how that. Well, I don't want to jump the gun because let's talk about how you went from the summer league and your first job. And then, you know, once you got over there, was it the transition? Was it easier? Or was it harder or was there some things that you didn't expect? Man, so, you know, the the overseas flight, that was what got me right off the bat. I think I traveled for 22 straight hours to get to Italy, uh, had a layover. Then you got an overnight flight. I can't sleep on planes. So I get to Italy, man. I'm exhausted. My phone's not working. I didn't know about like having to change your service and all that. Nobody stuff. tells you. So no, there's no, there's no, there, there, I didn't have a handbook. Um, so it's like the first night I'm in my apartment, my apartment's burning up. The AC wasn't working and they keep telling me, oh, they'll be here tomorrow to fix the AC. They'll be there tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is like three weeks, whatever. So it's like my first night in Italy and I'm like, I started talking, like I my parents, like talking to you know, I'm by myself. This is the first time I'm, I've ever been like by myself. There's college, but you've got roommates, you've got your boys around, you've got your friends, your teammates. And, uh, I teared up a little bit and I'm just sitting there thinking like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. I'm thinking about like my public communications degree. Like, what can I do with that? Like, can I, should I get a job? And, uh, you know, I finally got some sleep. I slept through the night and we had practice and that right away, that was when the switch flipped because it gave me something to concentrate on. It gave me something to put my mind to. And, uh, I got used to it pretty quickly, but the transition basketball wise was nine day difference because at Marshall, we're playing NBA style. We're playing the D'Antoni system, run and gun eight seconds or less. Now I get to Italy. We're running a flex. We're running a late shot clock, pound the ball into the post. Why the hell would you shoot the first open shot off the dribble when you could have worked the ball around for eight, eight to 15 seconds and then got a 
good shot, you know? So it's like, I'm not fitting in at all. And it was a slow transition, honestly. But like you said, man, it, it is a different game stylistically, fundamentally, mm-hmm. mentally, physically, every word you want to put in there, it's a different game. Yeah, no, to, to that point, man, like, like being over there and that, that culture shock that, look, this is where I am, you know, and then, you know, it's just, it's different and you can't really understand it unless you went through it. And, you know, I mean, but like, I'll let you continue. I have so much to say, like, this is so fascinating to me. So I'm good, Matt. Well, John, you and I talked a little bit before we started recording and, and you mentioned like what the practice schedule and things are like, you know, how many times a week you play. Can can you talk a little bit about that for, for listeners, like what your routines been like, um, you know, overseas versus what, what it was like playing on a college team? Yeah. So um, the biggest advice I would give guys before you go into situations or before you sign somewhere is research, talk to the players that were there before find out what it's going to be like um, going into Italy. I had no clue. I get there and we are practicing twice a day, two hours in the morning. And it's not just, it's not just practice. Like we're talking about physically <laughs> demanding tendonitis after every practice ice bath, like as many box jumps as you just beating on your body. So two hours in the morning, conditioning practice with weights and then two and a half hours in the evening on the court and this is sometimes even the day before games i mean we would if you had a like a road game and you played bad or something and you got back at 3 a.m i mean there'd be days where we're back in the gym at 9 a.m getting after it again like i mean it was just the ultimate culture shock because i'm 23 years old i've never really had to take care of my body that much because one i'm coming from a place where we had an nba coach where Hey, we're in the NBA player development, take care of the body load management. If you played 20 minutes, Hey, shoot free throws and then watch the guys who didn't play scrimmage a little bit. I'm in a place where we got veterans, 35 years old, struggling to get up and down because their bodies hurt so bad. And I'm 23 and my body hurts. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, then I go into year two, did a little bit of research, talked to some guys, one practice a day, you know, phenomenal. I get here year three. Sometimes we have two, one weight practice, one in the evening, day before the game, only one. But the coach is big on load management and stuff like that. So it really just depends on where you are and what system you're in, what coaching staff. But, you know, I'm, I'm in year three, but I feel like I've seen I've seen as much as you can see already. Yeah, John, just a little bit of an advice. If you can avoid Eastern European coaches, the Serbians, the, the Bosnian coaches, like, those guys will run you into the ground and they won't bat an eye. They're, they're military style. And, you know, everybody that plays anywhere close to that region or has a coach that comes from that region to their club, they understand, you know, just what that means. And so, um, but but what you were saying was, was really good about just, one, being able to take care of your body and, and being able to kind of, you have to take care of yourself. What was your, the training, the physio like at, at your first club? Did you have, you know, training table and things like that to take, or did you have to take care of that yourself? You know, my first club, they were really professional. Um, you know, we had three trainers. Um, we had a sauna, we had um, ice tub, stuff like that. Now the on the court stuff, that was a little different. I I don't know what was going on out there at times, man. Um, but like the physics, like the, the cardio and the conditioning and the agility stuff we're doing. I mean, this is the first time I'd ever been on a soccer field for conditioning. I mean, we're running yeah. lines on the soccer field. I'm, like culture shock i'm a rookie like i'm not used to any of this like okay if we're running suicides in the gym or we're running sprints in the gym like i'm good or we're at the track we're on the soccer field bright and early it's still foggy and misty outside like i'm still on american time i'm not really sleeping very good as a rookie and like my body hurts so like you said it's man i could talk about my rookie year all day because that that was just a shock to me and see, and see what, maybe I shouldn't say this, but a lot of veteran guys, they do everything within their power that's legal to avoid training camp. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they'll tell the team to push their flight back as long as they can so they can just get there for the, you know, uh, preseason practices and games. Because to your point, like you'll be in a mountain sometimes. You'll be, you're, there, there's so many, there's so many ridiculous <laughs> training programs that these teams have. It's, it's out of control, but in all seriousness, to, to your point where you were talking about doing your research, 
I implore that to anybody that asks me for advice about overseas, because when I came out to like you, I played in the UK BBL my first year and I had to pay $600 in bag fees because I didn't know what to bring. No, I bought my whole house, my whole closet, and I didn't know what to bring. And so obviously I didn't use half of that stuff. So then my second year when I went to Denmark, you know, I, I was more prepared, but they were, Facebook was just getting started. Then Instagram was just getting started. So it wasn't like I can get online and see, all right, who played here? Let me reach out to them. But now the way you guys have it now, you can get on Facebook, you can get on Instagram and guys are so much more amenable to give advice about where they just played. They won't even, they won't bat an eye. They, they'll be, you know, so giving of the information. So like that's, that's a really important thing that you touched on, John, was for players to really utilize social media for what it is. It's a great tool. And when you go overseas, you have to know where you're going. And you have mm-hmm. to know what you're going into because, you know, I think to, to your point, you were fortunate that you went to good clubs and I was fortunate. I didn't really have any bad experiences, but you've heard the horror stories and mm-hmm. some of that stuff can be avoided if we're more informed, which is one of my biggest proponents is just information. One more point to harp on what you're saying. Like my wife, she's on this uh, Facebook basketball wives page. So mm-hmm. like they have an overseas basketball wives page. So Anytime I get any interest or offers during the off season, like she goes on there and she can post or she reads posts where former players' wives have lived overseas, how the hospitals are, how the living is, like the playgrounds for kids, stuff like that. So just the advice is do as much research and talk to as many people as you can. Cause I'll have her, like, I don't even have an official offer from a place yet. She's telling me about <laughs> where the malls are, where the playgrounds are. Do they have a good healthcare system? I mean, it's just crazy, uh-huh. but having access, like you said, just makes it so much, makes you so much more educated on the, on the fit. That it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So how do you like, you're talking about doing research there. What's, I think the calculus is probably different for every player, but like, how do you personally juggle? between, you know, comfort, uh, you know, quality of life versus fit basketball wise versus the pay. Like, you know, we, we've talked to some folks where this job might pay less, but it'll set you up better for future jobs. Like, how do you kind of juggle those things? Great question. You know, um, like early, like, okay, my first year or two, now I got a wife and I've got a kid. So I've got to factor in a little bit more stuff, but you know, my mentality is always like, Hey, I can live under a rock as long as I'm playing basketball. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? If the money's good and I'm playing basketball, like I don't care where I am, right. but now I've got a wife and a baby. It's like, mm-hmm. Hey, I can't be in the middle of nowhere. Like I got to be in a, somewhere nice, like where they'll be comfortable, stuff like that. But I'm still at the point in my career where beggars can't be choosers. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. my agent talks about it all the time. Hey man, like if you keep having the year you're going to have, you're going to be able to choose your weather next year. And I think that's a great quote because once you get to that point, Hey, it's basically you pick where you want to be. You you have your pick of the litter. So it just depends on where you are in your career. Um, You've got to weigh the pros and the cons going in and before you make the decision, but beggars can't be choosers at the end of the day as well. That's a great quote. And, you know, you get to that point in your career. It was, it was year three for me where I was like, all right, I'm done playing in towns. I want to play somewhere that has, you know, a metropolitan city that has international travelers. And, you know, that, that next year, that third year was Athens, Greece for me. I played in uh, Greece A1. But, mm-hmm. you know, before that, you know, the advice I got was play in the best league possible and, and do your numbers. And everybody's situation is different, you know. And to to harp on uh, or to piggyback off Matt's question, you know, when when guys choose to play overseas, a lot of times, it depends on the person. Like for me, I'm like you, I don't need the club life. I don't need the party life, the social life. As long as my money's on time and I have Wi-Fi and the basketball is good, I'm cool. But some guys need that, you know, they need to have that social life and things like that to survive. So it really just depends on the individual because what might work for me and what might work for John might not work for the next player. But yeah, but that's where, you know, doing your research, it all comes, it always comes back to that. Like any question we ask about overseas, it comes back to doing your research. Mm-hmm. All right, let's just call a quick time out here from two of our sponsors. First, we have NordVPN. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN that you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. 
Plus, you can use NordVPN on all your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. And plans start at just under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And next, let's hear from Athletic Greens. Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's also lifestyle-friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com believe. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. Okay, and now let's get back to the action. So, John, I don't want to jump ahead for you here too much, but like you're obviously still in the middle of the season, but like how early in a year do you start thinking about the next job and things like, like, is that in the back of your mind while you're playing these games? Like I, I need to put up a certain amount of numbers or I need to do this or that just to, to kind of set myself up for next season or even to have tape to show NBA teams. If I want to keep exploring that, like how much is that in the back of your mind? You know, um, I would say probably my rookie year, that was, um, when I was thinking about that stuff, but now it's like, I can't because you've got to live in the moment over here because my, my teammates says all the time, it's like overseas is like the stock market. Like it's up, down, you don't know what it's going to be. Um, mm. So it's just, to me, like, it's just a matter of making the most of it every day because um, I mean, you hear about guys, basketball careers getting cut short all the time. You hear about accidents, stuff like that. So I go into every practice with the mentality, like, Hey, I want to get better. I want to hoop today. Like I want to have, have fun and enjoy the process so if if i start thinking about dang so-and-so got this contract he's making x amount i'm here making x amount but my numbers are better like i should be a, like it, it, it'll drive you insane because i've been there like coming out of college i'm seeing these guys get drafted ahead of me and i'm just i'm losing my mind it's like <laughs> this doesn't make any sense to me and i get overseas and i like you're over here most of the time by yourself you know my wife and baby are here but when they weren't with me it's like you'll drive yourself nuts because you you can't think about stuff like that. So I've just learned to take the positive route, make the most of every day, whatever happens happens, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make the most of the situation at hand and wherever the chips fall, that's where they fall. But I can't think about the next job or the next gig a month or six months from now. I just got to make the most of the one I have right here. Matt, we're definitely clipping that part up because that is something like, John, you're so much more advanced mentally than most players because it takes guys a while to get to that point because I was like that too. Like when I when I did my episode, I talked about being in the game and I'm three for five from three and I'm thinking if I shoot over 50%, you know, I'll get more money next year than if I shoot under 50%. Do I, do I want to shoot another shot in the middle of a game? And I'm I'm sitting back. I'm. It's almost like I'm having an out of body experience because I'm looking at myself like, this is not how you grew up playing basketball. Like, like what is this right now? Like, you're literally thinking about turning down a wide open shot because mm-hmm. of what it can do for your career the next year. Like, but that's that's a reality for a lot of guys. But to your point, it's it kind of it can kind of make it worse for you because if yeah. you start thinking if you go overseas with one foot out the door already, you're not going to last. Your career, your your season's going to be bad. Your teammates are going to feed off that energy and it's just going to be a terrible season. Your career is going to be short. So, so you have the right, perfect mindset. And I definitely want more players or anybody that's listening to this, that is aspiring to go overseas to, to hear that and take on that mindset. John, you talked about, you know, it can drive you crazy. If you, you think about some of those things, like just from a mental health standpoint, you know, you've got your family over there now, but like, what else do you do to kind of keep in the right frame of mind and and to kind of keep in a good headspace? Man, great question again. Um, you know, it just it depends on where you are and what your situation is. My rookie year in Italy, like 
I hardly ever left the apartment. And one of my roommates in college, he played overseas three years before he hung it up. Um, one of his, like the best advice he gave me was enjoy, enjoy where you are, you know, travel, see stuff, take pictures, um, even like just walking places, you know, you've got to get out of the apartment because I mean, you spend so much time in here on the phone, on your computer, on your game system. It'll drive you crazy, man, because you have to have that interaction and you have to have that just ability to clear your head. So now that my wife, my wife was with me in Italy, we traveled to Venice, Florence. I mean, just little stuff that I, if she wasn't here, I I don't know if I would do myself. That's why I'm so lucky to have her is because that gives me somebody to come home and talk English with. Like people don't realize how fortunate you are to have people around you. I'm in the grocery store and you can't understand the word people are saying. Like there's been times I'm in the grocery store by myself and I'm like talking to myself, like, Hey, do I want to buy this? And like, <laughs> I'll have a, I'll have a lady walk by the aisle and see me like talking to myself. And I'm like, damn, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> but um, just having that interaction and being able to get out and get away and take mental breaks goes a long way over here because it's a long year, man. You're over here nine, some people 10 months out of the year. The only time you speak English, is with your family on the phone or with some of your teammates and sometimes theirs is a broken English so sometimes you find yourself speaking a broken English so it's like it's up and down like the stock market man yeah so um so so John so from Italy where did you go your next year so I was in Italy um I was in first division Italy for like first half of the season I left Italy went to second division Italy for the second half COVID cut it short Year two, my wife was having, we were having our baby. Um, I ended up signing late. So like you said, I missed training camp my second year, <laughs> which was, that goes a long way on your body, yeah. man. Uh, I, st- I signed in Greece on a one-month deal, um, first mm-hmm. division Greece. I was in Athens like you were, um, yeah. except Greece is on lockdown. So I'm in Athens and I didn't go anywhere besides my apartment, the grocery store and the gym. So that was like, wow miserable because you had to have paperwork to leave your apartment uh i left left greece after a month i played well signed in hungry for year two and now mm. year three i'm in lithuania that's per- did you get your money in greece and so <laughs> one, month do. Deal, <laughs> one month deal um uh-huh. the, the the gm comes up to the to the americans and is like hey we sent your money we sent your money i keep checking for my money my money is not there uh, I'm getting ready to leave because I'm signing somewhere else. My one month's up. They're like, um, well, we have we have some cash if you want it. So they give me straight euros because I'm about to go to the airport. And I'm walking around with like a few thousand dollars of euros in my pocket. I'm like, man, y'all put me in a bad situation. But now I gotta I gotta exchange my money. I can't do it at the airport because they're gonna rip me off. The currency yeah. exchange rate in the airport's terrible. So like Payment wise was a bad experience in Greece. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I, I'm laughing because I, I knew the answer was a, was a rhetorical question. <laughs> like my team, 2013, they still owe me money. I'm never gonna see that because they got they got rele- <laughs> they got relegated to the second division, and oh, you know how it goes. So, um, but but you know, like Greece is an interesting market because it'll do wonders for your career. Obviously, it boosts your resume, but at the same time, you need to get as much upfront money as possible because they're still dealing with an economic depression and it's been going on for what's this 2021 when I was there it was 2013. So, you know, and, and that was just from, from when I was there and it's probably been going on before that. So, um, you know, but, uh, but it's, it's a great place to be. I mean, outside of COVID and things like that, it would have been a great place for you to experience, but um, I'm glad you got something because a lot of guys, <laughs> they left a lot yeah. of money in Greece. Greece owes a lot of guys a lot. Of <laughs> John, for you, one of the things we've asked everybody and, and gotten some pretty interesting answers to, are there other things that you factor in to contracts beyond just money? So whether that's flights for family or car, like food, like what are sort of the other things that, that go into you know, the contract that you sign? Um, you know, most contracts are pretty similar. They usually give you just the basic stuff. Now, if you have a good agent, they can sometimes negotiate one more flight. Sometimes, depending on where you are, you can have meals in your contract. Like in Hungary, I have one meal per day. Um, here, I don't have any meals, but I get car, Wi-Fi, utilities, stuff like that. So it just depends where you are. But um, I'd say one of the biggest factors right now in my career is just my role on the basketball side of things, because I'm at the point where I'm trying to climb the ladder to make it 
Euro League, NBA, back to the States, whatever, play at the highest level over here and maximize the amount of money I can make. So it's like almost back to that rock thing. I can live under the rock if the basketball situation is good. So that's my biggest thing right now is finding a place and a system that I'm able to excel in and keep climbing the ladder. So a little bit of little bit of stuff, but mainly basketball for me right now. So what specific things are you looking for from a role perspective? Is that somewhere where you can score a lot, somewhere you can have the ball a lot and a high usage rate? Like, and I guess I, you, you know, you are a scorer and facilitator. Like, is it one or both? Like, what are you after? I guess. Man, Europe is so tricky because you really never know what you're getting into until you get there. Um, the, like my rookie year in Italy, like the GM keeps telling me, Hey, you're going to be a starting point guard. We're going to play fast. We're going to run a lot of ball screens, stuff like that. So I start every preseason game. Like, I think I'm playing pretty well. I'm starting to fit in first regular season game comes and I'm not starting. So it's like, you never fully know the situation until you're a couple months in and you've adjusted because like here, um, they kind of recruited me as a combo guard playing the two. They had a point guard. Um, now I'm starting point guard. So it's like, you really have no idea what you're getting into. You know, you can talk to guys, you can talk to the GM. Um, sometimes your coach doesn't really speak a lot of English. So you don't have any talks with your coach before you get in the situation. So like my coach here is English is okay, but it's not great. Um, I had conversations with the GM. I never talked to the coach coming in. So it's one of those things you can do a lot of research, but at the end of the day, you still might go into a situation blind. It's just, that's part of being the professional and trying to stand out is making the most of whatever system you're thrown into, because in Europe, you're going to be thrown into systems a lot, no matter how much research you do. Yeah. You have to be able to adjust to, especially if you're trying to climb the charts and, you know, just from, from one basketball player to another, you can for sure play at the early, you know, that, um, and then anything that we can do with our platform and, and, you know, us bringing notoriety to what you're doing over there, you know, we, we'll be more than willing to do that because, you know, I definitely believe I've watched your film and I'm like, man, you've played against your league teams. You know, for sure you could play at that level. It's all about opportunity and fit. And, you know, we, we have a lot of guys that have your league experience that we're going to be interviewing. And a lot of them don't average 10 points a game. You know, you see like the EuroLeague MVP, you know, a couple of years, like average 16 points. And he was the MVP of the EuroLeague. So, you know, to your point, to John's point, it's like you just never know what teams are looking for. You know, you could put up, be putting up crazy numbers, but they might be so robotic in the way they see basketball that they might think that's a bad thing. And then he might average eight points a game on 65% shooting, and they might throw the bag at him because that's what they, that's what they value. It's really that fickle. So, so you all you got, like to John's point, you just play your game. You know, you you play the best of your ability, and kind of just you got to kind of just have faith and, and let your representatives and your game do the talking. You know, John, one of the things we've talked about and we've heard from from other people too is that sometimes when guys go overseas, they they kind of feel forgotten a little bit. For you, what's it been like to be able to play in ESPN's the basketball tournament in the summers to be able to like kind of keep your name fresh and current with American basketball fans too? Man, I'm the TBT is arguably the highlight of my uh, arguably the highlight of my year. Definitely my summer, just because, uh, like you said, once you take off that college jersey for the last time, um, most of your family and friends never see you play again. Like that's just the reality of overseas basketball because time difference. Um, it's hard to stream games in the states. There's all kinds of stuff and hoops you got to jump through. So we're talking about the middle of the summer playing with guys that you played with in college or played against in college on ESPN. I mean, it doesn't get bigger than ESPN. Most guys in college don't ever play a game on ESPN. It's just the reality of it. So then you factor in, Hey, you're playing for a million dollars as well. Um, I think that's one of the greatest events in the whole, the whole basketball world right now. And it's so fun for me because my dad gets to coach. My brother plays, two of my college roommates play the other one helps coach. Um, so, I mean, I'm playing with my best friends on ESPN at arguably one of the highest levels of basketball there is outside of the NBA, because you look at some of those teams they are filled with Euro league guys and filled with ex NBA guys. I mean, hell, I was matched up with Joe Johnson on ESPN two years ago. I mean, how many guys get the chance yeah. to play against the future hall of fame guy, right? You know, yeah. so uh, it's such a dope event, man. 
Now, what, what you just said, uh, John, was so profound and actually kind of struck a chord with me. And I, I've pretty much heard a lot about this overseas game, but I've never really heard that, that once you take off your college jersey, that's the last time your family and friends will probably see you play live. You know, they'll see highlights and videos that you send, but they're not in the stands anymore just because of what you were saying. So, and and that's like, that, that's been my reality. And my parents never saw me play again um, after college. So, you know, I think that's, that's really profound. And you're the first person I've ever heard say that. It's great that you have that opportunity. And, and you mentioned you're from a basketball family. I think, you know, maybe some people, their families don't really get the grind that they go through uh, playing overseas. Is, is that helped you in any way having like people that kind of get it and get the dream and the pursuit of basketball and make, does that make that easier i guess that they kind of know where you're coming from yeah man that's been one of my biggest things is you know everybody talks about you are who you hang out with your support system stuff like that um my best friends my dad my brother i mean basically family um they watch almost every overseas game because they care so much and they're so supportive. Like my best friend is assistant division division two coach at West Virginia state, Marcus Reed. He takes me before every game, like, Hey, send me the link. What time? Cause then you got to do the time difference, seven hour mm-hmm. difference. So like I have people that watch every game and text me after every game. Like I, I still, to this day, talk to my dad after every pro practice and every pro game. And then we'll talk about film. Like, it's so meaningful to have people there in your corner trying to help you better yourself and keep climbing the ladder and support you. Um, I mean, you'll have bad games and you still, I still get to call my dad and talk ball with him and talk about the game. Um, I mean, it almost makes you feel like a little kid again. I'm 25 now. I still have that. You know, a lot of guys, like you said, some people's parents and friends never get to see them just because the access is so limited. But I've been fortunate to play in places that have those streams and stuff like that. So, man, it, it goes a long way. John, just sticking with your dad for one second. This is one other stat I'm sure that gets mentioned to you guys a lot, but I, I thought this was really cool. Uh, you and your dad are the leading father and son scoring duo in NCAA history ahead of Steph and Del Curry. What's that like to be able to you know, to, to have together, I guess. You know, it's just, it speaks to our relationship because you, you hear about all those terror stories of parents forcing kids to go to the gym, forcing kids to eat this, forcing kids to do that. And my mom and dad, I got to give them so much credit because it's always been like, Hey, we're not going to make you go to the gym, but if you want to go, we'll be there with you. Um, so that's been their, their philosophy from day one is, Hey, we're not going to make you do anything, but if that's what you want to do, we're there for you. So um, we got the key to my, when I was in middle school, my dad got a key from the coach. So every night I was going to the middle school gym and my dad was there rebounding for me. Funny short story. It started in middle school. My grandfather would meet me and my brother when he was in eighth grade, I was in sixth grade. My grandfather, we had three basketball courts outside of our middle school and, uh, he would be parked at the middle school every day before class started. So class, we had, we, we started late. We started at eight 30. He would get there at 730 parked outside of those courts and he would, have, he would have a ball in his car. Now, he had a job and he had to work and he had stuff to do, but he would take that time every morning to be there. And, you know, there were some mornings we didn't show up. We were too tired or we slept in or we had homework, whatever. But my grandfather was at my middle school every day with the ball in his car. If I wanted to shoot, he was going to be there for me. So I'm just so blessed and fortunate to have that support system and the family that loves the grind like that, man. It's it, it's meant everything to me. That's that's special. That's really special, uh, John. You know, a lot of people don't have that. And and they have, they might have support systems, but they don't have support systems to actually get it. Like, this is what it takes to even do what, we, to do what we're doing, just to play Division One basketball, because it's so competitive now. Like, this is what has to happen. And I, I don't think a lot of people understand just the benefits of that and the relationship. Like, you guys seem like you're so close. And, you know, it's very admirable. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast in the first place is to help people get it, you know, like for, for guys like you, that if you had family that kind of didn't understand the grind, like this is an opportunity to tell them what you go through to, to make this happen. Starting to wrap things up here a little bit. I remember during the summer, you had a particularly good TBT performance and uh, Boston Celtics forward Grant Williams tweeted out like, how is this guy not in the league right now? One, what does it mean to hear that from your peers and guys that, you know, you went through like that 
that summer experience with. Is that still the goal? How do you plan to get back there? Like, what, what's the next couple of years look like for John Elmore? You know, I think I think that goes to basketball guys get it. Like, players, they know what's going on on the court. You know, like, if we're matched up and, like, you're cooking me or whatever, like, I realize that. Um, now, after the game, what the gurus and the analysts and everything write isn't always what happened or what went down on the court. Like, you've got Skip Bayless and all, everybody making these wild takes and their evaluation of what happened is just so far out left field. You have no idea what they, they watch, but you know, players, players know what's going on now that that's all I'll say about that. But like, you know, I, I don't worry about it anymore. You know, that's my goal. I think I belong there. I think I deserve to be there. That's where I see myself, but I have to take the long road. That's just the reality of it. You know, if I could, wake up tomorrow and I'm in the NBA, I would do it. I would sacrifice everything to get to the league, but it's just not happening right now. So I've got to make the most of my situation here. Um, next year, I might not make it either. So I've got to make the most of the next situation until one day, maybe that opportunity presents itself. But if not, I can't, I can't, I can't think about the what ifs because I'll, like I said earlier, I'll drive myself nuts because so-and-so got a contract. I'm think I'm better than so-and-so. I'm over here in Lithuania. This guy's making X million dollars in the NBA. You know, it's just, it's so hard, but it's, it's been, I've had to, ha I've had to grow a lot mentally and as a person just to get past that. Because if you think about all that, you'll go nuts, man. You'll go nuts. Like uh, staying, staying on that, that train of thought, you know, like, does that give you any type of solace or confidence knowing that like the players that play in the league, they know I could play in the league. You know, just because these GMs, these quote unquote scouts and these experts, they don't see it. Does that give you any type of, you know, solace or or do you want them to know that I belong in the NBA and show you tangible proof by giving you offer or bring you into camp and things like that? You know, I don't think about it. My goal mm -hmm. is to make it so hard for them to say no. My goal is to perform so well that you can't you can't not see it or you can't reject it or you can't say otherwise. So that's that fire. I mean, you know, I don't think about it every day, but when I go to the gym, I'm going there to work. Like you said, I, I love to practice. Like I love to work on my game. I get to practice every day. My wife's like, what time is practice? I'm like five. And she's like, well, it's three 45. Why are you leaving? <laughs> like you don't start. I'm like, babe, like I got to go to work. You know, that's it's, it's what, it's what it takes. Yeah. It's what it takes. So it's like, I've just got this love and this passion to try to make it there. You know, it might not work out, but I'm going to, I'm not leaving any what ifs on the table. A hundred percent. And then, you know, you, you alluded to it earlier about all of the guys that have long established NBA careers now that started overseas. You know, you know, you talk about PJ Tucker, talking about Patrick Beverly, you got Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside mm -hmm. was playing in Lebanon, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, and now he's a hundred million dollar guy in the NBA. So to your point, just do what you, you want to do your best and just put yourself in position to be seen. And after that, that's all you can do. And those are guys that have, you know, reached a pretty high level of notoriety in the postseason and gotten big contracts. But, you know, even the Brad Wanamakers or the Anthony Gills, like people that, you know, that that still sort of, they make it. And, you know, that that's enough too. Uh, John, before we get out of here, I just got a couple quick hitters for you. Um, just stuff we kind of throw at everybody. I guess, what was your first, you know, I'm not in Charleston, West Virginia moment once you got overseas, like kind of the, the eye opener or the wake up call? Man, I'm checking out at the grocery store, self-checkout, um, scanned like three items. I put them on the thing and everybody knows like it weighs your items when you set them down to make sure that you're not stealing anything. I go to scan the next item and like the machine starts beeping and I'm like, dude, what, what is going on? <laughs> The lady comes up to me. This is like my second day in Italy. I had to go to the grocery store. The lady comes up to me. And she starts speaking Italian. And I'm like, yo, I don't know what is going on. I just tried to scan my item. Like, I just want to pay and go home. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I haven't slept. I got jet lag. And like, she starts like raising her voice at me. And I'm like, English, English. And she's just not understanding what I'm saying. And finally, like some lady like walked over and just like swiped her card on the machine. And like, I kept going and I was able to pay and leave. But like, dude, I was so shook up because I'm just trying to check out at the grocery store and it's not working. Like I'm not, I can't interact with people right now. I don't know the language. And that was, that was the first, this isn't Charleston anymore. 
ever have a teammate have to like order food for you on the road or anything like that, where like the language barrier like was so tough that you needed some help? Dude, almost every trip, like, um, like, so funny story, we, like even this year, like we don't always have post-game meals. Like we usually stop at a grocery store, maybe even a gas station. If you're lucky, like we'll stop there and get something to eat on the way home. Well, gas stations here, like pride themselves on good hot dogs. But like, I'm in a gas station. I don't know the language. And I'm like, I talked to my team. I'm like, Hey man, will you tell her I just want ketchup on the hot dog? So she goes up and he explains like, and I'm just like, dude, this is so odd that I can't order my own hot dog because I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to say the words, but it happens every, every year, multiple times a year. I guess it wouldn't be a basketball podcast if we didn't ask you like, who was the first guy that kind of gave you work overseas? Or, or is there just a guy that you've played against internationally that maybe people don't know as a big name that that was like really tough and kind of surprised you? Man, you know, probably the coolest moment from our rookie year. Okay, there was a couple of coolest one. Um, we're playing Milan in Italy, first division in Italy. Uh, I'm a rookie, and there was a ball screen. We switched the screen. I'm switched on the big man. He catches it in the post and scores on me. And it was Luis Scola. Um, that's awesome. 40 years old. And I'm just like, damn, like Luis Scola just gave me a bucket. Like NBA legend, international legend. 40-year-old man just gave 23-year-old kid post work. Yeah, that was that was that was a pretty cool moment. Um then um Milos Teodosic played for the Clippers for a little bit. I matched up with him in Italy. People say that he's one of the greatest passers in the history of basketball. Some of the NBA guys talk about how good he was. Um he had 24 one game. I had 20 against him, so that was pretty cool. Sergio Rodriguez played in the NBA a little bit, plays for Milan. So you know, it was it was cool just um, learning the game and seeing some of these guys that you've seen in the Olympics um, competing against them because a lot of people don't even see this style or don't even see these players play ever in their life. But over here, they're they're legends. So just seeing the basketball world from a different perspective over here has been it's been awesome. Mike, I think that might be one of the better answers we've gotten to that question so far. Oh, 100 percent. Hundred percent, because these are these are legends. If you go overseas and you play against these guys, and you know there there are a few other handful of guys that are like revered by Americans and international players. You know those those two guys will be at the top of the list. So that, that that's an amazing experience. And as a basketball junkie, I know that was just an amazing thrill just to just to be able to compete. Yeah, I mean, Scola got himself a gold medal at the expense of Tim Duncan and Allen Iverson and things like that. That that's a that's a pretty he's, good. Match. He's still he's still handing out buckets. Like he's still mm-hmm. going strong. Yeah, that's that's pretty. pretty. Yeah, he looks somehow younger now than when he played in the NBA. I'm not sure how he's doing that. <laughs> Any new hobbies or foods that you've become you know attached to since you've made a made the trip overseas? Um international mcdonald's man that's my go-to um you just you get you just miss american food so much because you don't have access to it i mean little stuff from the grocery store little candy fried food stuff like that i mean stuff that isn't healthy and you take for granted but you become so accustomed to eating it every day and then you come over here and you go nine plus months without it then you start thinking about your first meal when you get back to the states like where am i going to eat what airport am I flying into? What terminal, what gate is the, uh, the Popeye's in Atlanta? In? I mean, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So having access to a McDonald's over here has gone a long way, even though it might not be the most healthy, but it's gone a long way. The, uh, I don't know if you've ever had a layover in Istanbul airport, but they have a Popeye's in there. And <laughs> I, like every, every American player that goes through that airport, once they see Popeye's, it might just probably the worst food you could possibly eat. Like you have to go to the Popeyes, or if you see a Krispy Kreme or something, like mm-hmm. you have to go there just because it's a little taste of home. And you know, mm-hmm. John's spot on, man. Like you're gonna see, like anytime you see that. I remember I was in the UK and I saw Reese's peanut butter cup. I was, I <laughs> yeah. lost my mind. I, like, I got to buy five of these. And so don't yeah, tell everybody it. this, but uh, Athens has a Cinnabon and a TGI Fridays. So yeah, go. yeah, they have they have a Fridays. Yep, yeah, that was the spot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Uh, best advice you've been given about playing overseas and best advice you would give to somebody else kind of just starting that journey. I was really lucky my rookie year to have good vets. 
probably my favorite teammate, Daquan Jones, played at Miami, played for the Magic for a little bit, was one of my vets in Italy. And just talking to him and understanding what goes into it. And he's one of the guys I got to give credit to making the most of every day and not worrying about the little things because it'll drive you crazy. But having vets and guys that give advice and look out for the younger dudes and kind of teach them the way and show them what you're going to go through and how to get through it was huge. So that's why like, I want to give you all a big praise and a big shout out for this because younger guys are guys that are aspiring to play overseas or play professionally. Like you're going to go through a lot and you're going to have to deal with a lot, but it's just a matter of staying with it and loving what you do and making the most of each day. We always try to solicit from our guests, you know, their relationships. And, and so anybody that you think would be a great guest about, you know, maybe their story is something that you, you have, you've been privy to that the rest of the world or basketball world doesn't know about that you think would be a cool story that a lot of people would be interested in. Um, could be anybody that's played overseas and has an interesting path to how mm. they got there. Oh man, that's Putting a you on the spot, John. Putting you on the spot. I'm going to have to go with my guy, the guy I just mentioned, Daquan Jones. Um, uh -huh. Big career at Miami, um, went through some stuff, suspension, stuff like that, allegations, which weren't true. He says allegedly, I don't know. But he's had a crazy run um, playing overseas, played at the highest level. But just a dude that really taught me a lot and was able to help me elevate my game and mentality to the next level. So I think that would be a good interview. All right, well, we're gonna we're gonna lean on you to to kind of help us make that happen. At least uh, give us the introduction. So, okay, um, I can do that. I can do yeah, that. No, appreciate you, John. Last thing here, anything on your end you have going beyond basketball that you want to plug, or anybody you want to shout out and give some uh, props to, uh, just to to thank them for you know their role in your journey. I gotta shout out my wife, man. Um, she sacrifices her daily life in the states to live over here with me. Quit her job to come live over here with me. Uh, we have a beautiful daughter that she's the greatest mother to in the world. She even works. She got a job remotely, so she works back home, and that gives her something to do. But I mean, just huge Tough shout hours. out to her for sac. Yeah, yeah, seven hour difference. So she works till about eleven. She's over on the computer right now. Works till about eleven thirty my time every night, 4.30 Eastern time. So huge, huge shout out to her. Man. Great answer. <laughs> always always, yeah, yeah, always give the wife credit, smart man. Had to throw that. Yeah, that, that kind of sums up the whole interview. You're ahead of the curve there, John. I didn't learn that yeah. one in the first couple of years. So that's, that's always smart. John, thank you so much. You've been extremely generous with your time. This was great. I told you before we started, I'm a big fan of yours. I really enjoyed the way you play yeah. and you know the the attitude and the swagger out on the court. It's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, hopefully the TBT is back in Charleston this year. I plan on being there again. So hopefully I'll see you there. Yeah, man. Thanks yeah, for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm going to echo that sentiment. And you know, it feels good to know that you're one of our first guests. And to have a future NBA player as one of our first guests, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna mean a lot to this podcast, and we're glad to be there and say we knew him and had him before he got there. So you know, best of luck, John. We're rooting for you. Um, anything that we can do as we continue to grow, you know, please let us know. Um, and we're we're there for you, man. Definitely, man. I appreciate y'all. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.